The Lake Shawnee Amusement Park was a family favorite location built in the late 1920s in West Virginia. Complete with a Ferris wheel, a racetrack, a swing ride, and a dance hall, it was created as a place for families to enjoy the outdoors as well as the fun environment that the amusement park provided. What was hidden below the park's joyful exterior was a dark history that plagued the land long before the park was built. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner, and happy Thanksgiving. When this airs, it will be Thanksgiving, so I hope you all have an amazing day with your friends, your family, or whoever you choose to spend this day with. Um, today we have a spooky tale that we're going to be talking about. It's the history of the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. I really want to go here. I would love to go at night and just dive into the spookiness. But first, we've got to talk about the history of the lake and the land surrounding it. So let's get to it. The history behind Lake Shawnee Amusement Park, which has led to it being called, quote, one of the world's most haunted places, end quote, dates back to prior to the 1700s when the land the park would eventually be built on was occupied by members of the Shawnee tribe who fished in the nearby Bluestone River and grew corn in the Fertile Valley. Eventually, it's said that many of the members of the tribe may have died from some kind of a flu or an epidemic while the rest fled the area. In 1783, a European settler named Mitchell Clay and his family decided to call the area their home. His family included his wife Phoebe and their 14 children. Oof. In August of 1783, Mitchell left for a hunt, and while he was gone, tragedy struck. He had asked two of his sons, Bartley and Ezekiel, to build a fence around some grain. So they were outside doing that while his daughter, Tabitha, was doing some chores outside with some of the other children. Now, while they were outside, 11 native Shawnee tribe members attacked. They killed Bartley immediately, and they kidnapped Ezekiel in the struggle. Tabitha heard the shot that killed her brother, Bartley, and immediately came running. She knew something was wrong right away, so she tried to help. She rushed over to her brother, Bartley, and she was stabbed to death in the process. One of the neighbors actually witnessed the attack happening, and apparently Phoebe, the mother, was begging the neighbor to help Tabitha as she was being attacked, 
but apparently he ran back into the woods and was considered a coward after that, which I think is a little bit unfair. He would have been outnumbered either way. And there is a theory. Some people believe that he may have run into the woods as a form of a distraction so that Phoebe might be able to get the other kids to safety. Phoebe brought the bodies of Tabitha and Bartley into the house. However, 16-year-old Ezekiel was taken to Ohio by the Shawnee tribe members, and he was ultimately burned at the stake. Phoebe fled with the remaining children to their closest neighbor's house, who was six miles away. So just imagine that, having, you know, 11 of your 14 children with you and having to flee with them six miles to your closest neighbor and not knowing if they were going to follow you, if the Shawnee members were going to follow you. It just sounds like a nightmare. So her husband, Mitchell Clay, would eventually return from his hunt and he arrived back at the house and he discovered his children who had been killed. He would go on to meet up with his family at the neighbor's house and they buried Tabitha and Bartley on the property where they're still buried today. Mitchell gathered other community members and pursued the Native Americans, following them across Flattop and Raleigh County before overtaking them in Boone County. They finally caught up to them and they killed several of them and many of the community members died in the process as well. After Ezekiel was killed, the chief of the Shawnee tribe actually allowed Clay to take his body back to their village to be buried. And it's said that he even offered them a horse to take the body back to their land with. It's also said that all three of the children were buried on the property. However, the marker that marks their grave only mentions Tabitha and Bartley's names. So that's definitely interesting, but it is said that Ezekiel was brought back to the land and buried there as well. Mitchell first marked the grave in 1783, and then on August 14th, 1937, a headstone marker was erected by the Daughters of the American Revolution, marking the location of the graves permanently. The land remained quiet for several decades until, in 1926, an entrepreneur named C.T. Snydo purchased the land and began developing an amusement park for the people of Mercer County. Snydo wanted to create a place for families to have fun and make memories together. He opened up the pond for swimming, added a Ferris wheel, a circular swing ride, a dance hall, a racetrack, concession stands, as well as cabins for overnight stays. But the darkness continued, and the land couldn't escape the death that followed. In the 1940s, a truck arrived at the amusement park to deliver soda to the concession stands. During the delivery, the truck driver backed the truck up and into the pathway of the swing ride. 
A 10-year-old girl, who was said to have been wearing a pink ruffled dress at the time, was riding on the swings when she was struck by the delivery truck and was killed. The amusement park tried to play it down at the time because it was a child's death and they didn't want the bad publicity. An apparition of this young girl has been spotted around the property to this day and there remains a pink ribbon tied to the swing where she died. This is not the only death on the property. Before the park closed, six people had died on the property. Another young girl is reported to have died after falling off the same swing set. Several kids actually drowned on the property. On July 3rd, 1966, one of the kids who unfortunately drowned was a nine-year-old boy, and he was visiting the park on that day. His mother brought him to the park and dropped him off for a day of fun while she was off running errands or doing what she needed to do that day. She returned to the park at closing time at the final whistle, which was 5 p.m., and she couldn't find her son anywhere. No one could find him. They looked all over for him until they found him at 7 o'clock p.m., and they found him at the bottom of the swimming pool. His arm had gotten stuck in the drain at the bottom of the pool, and it had sucked him down and caused him to drown. The workers then quickly filled the pool with sand after it happened and just kind of moved on with, with everything. Another incident of drowning involves another little boy named Dwayne Harmony, who was six years old, and he was swimming in the lake with his family. No one really saw what happened. He just reportedly brushed up against somebody and they noticed that he was not breathing. There was also another report of a little boy who was out on the lake in a canoe with his family and the canoe actually capsized and the little boy drowned. There was another report of a gambler who was killed on the property over a money dispute. So there were quite a few deaths um, on the property. And there was also an incident which would change the property owner's life forever. Conley Snido, the man who purchased the property and opened the amusement park, was staying at a nearby hotel with his family. His three-year-old daughter named Eloise was running for the elevator in the hotel and she was crushed in between the door and the floor of the elevator, and she died. After her death and the other deaths on the property, Conley acknowledged that the deaths were just not worth the amount of money he was making at the time, and the park was closed in 1966. The land sat abandoned for several years, until one day in 1985, a man named Gaylord White, who was a former employee of the amusement park, and he had actually worked at the park in the 1950s where he fell in love with the park, and he had eventually hoped that one day he would be able to own the property. And that day came in 1985 when he purchased the property with the hopes of reopening the amusement park. 
He had really high hopes for the amusement park, and he wanted to completely revamp it and bring back the joy that once filled the air. When he purchased the property, the original swings weren't on the property, but he wanted to have a same swing ride or a similar swing ride to the one that was there when the park opened. So he was looking around and he found a set that was similar to it in New Jersey at an antique dealer. So he traveled to New Jersey to this antique dealer and he bought the swing set, the swing ride. And so when he got back, he did some research and he realized quickly that the swings were in fact the same swings that were at the park initially when it opened. And the serial numbers were the exact same. They matched up. Everything was the same. So this is definitely a cool thing in his eyes. He also added stages for entertainment, paddle boats, and bumper cars. And the admission fee at the time was only a dollar. He was trying to get people in there, trying to get things going. And the park did really well for about three years. And it felt like things... We're going back to the way they were in the beginning. It was a really nostalgic feeling. The park was booming. He was bringing in pretty good money at the time, but the insurance rates became too high to manage, and the park closed again after just a few years. The family who owned the property didn't want it to go to waste, So they were planning on renovating things and seeing how they could put the land to use without involving the amusement park again. They planned on turning the open field areas into mud pits. However, as they began to dig, they began discovering different items that really caught their attention. They found pottery, Native American tools, and arrowheads. So they stopped digging And they called in Marshall University, who put together an archaeological team to come down to the property. They eventually uncovered more than just centuries-old tools and pottery. They began finding bodies, and they instantly knew that they had uncovered a Native American burial ground. They estimated that there were more than 3,000 graves of Shawnee tribe members on the property. They ultimately found 13 bodies, which were examined and identified as mostly elderly and young children, one of which was a 14-year-old girl and her baby. The bodies were eventually reburied, and the family decided to leave everything as it was and to allow nature to take back the land. The rides are seen covered in vines, and it's really creepy. The family decided to take advantage of the creepy factor, and they began hosting tours, specifically haunted tours during the fall, allowing the visitors to experience the haunted history for themselves. There's a haunted trail through a corn maze complete with creepy clowns. You can even camp out if you dare. The Lake Nightmare event is very popular, and over 18,000 people were reported to have toured it in 2020 alone. The property has been featured on many different TV shows, including The Scariest Places on Earth, 
the most terrifying places in America, as well as The Unexplained, which is a TV show that's now available on Netflix. It was initially on the History Channel. Paranormal investigations are a popular occurrence on the property, and people who visit the property claim that it has a very dark and haunting feeling. They report feeling super uncomfortable everywhere on the property. There's reports of people hearing children laughing and talking, and also the sound of Native American chanting. The smell of concession stand food will randomly fill the air, and you'll see shadow figures out of the corner of your eyes. Music will randomly play from the rides throughout the property. And apparitions have been said to be seen all over the property, including that of a little girl in a pink ruffled dress, thought to be the little girl who died on the swings. The apparition of a little boy has also been spotted in pictures at the bottom of one of the slides at the pool. For years, the locals believed that the property was haunted or possibly cursed. People have reported feeling like they are being watched as they step onto the property. And they also claim to see the swings move on their own. And when someone else looks at the swing, it stops moving. So as if someone is playing a trick on them. This could absolutely be the little girl who's been spotted on the swings and around the swings. Some people like to sneak on the property to go swimming. And they have reported that when they're swimming, they feel like someone is pulling them down below the water. Psychics and mediums have claimed that the water makes them feel ill when they get near it. And water is said to be a conduit of paranormal activity and energy, so it makes sense that this is a strong area of paranormal activity. A crew member for a show on Discovery Channel called Ghost Lab was locked in the old ticket booth during an investigation. But the door didn't have any locks on it. She just couldn't get out. And when she was eventually able to get out, she was so terrified that they ended up needing to take her to the hospital. There's also a pinwheel on the same ticket booth that is said to be used to communicate with the spirits on the property. People have been known to ask the spirits to make the pinwheel spin, even when there's no wind blowing, and it does. And it also stops spinning when they ask it to as well. Another spooky event was when a man arrived at the park after hours one night, and he had driven over eight hours just to visit the park and try to experience something. He didn't know the history of the park, but he felt called to come to the park. So he was about to step inside one of the buildings and he was thrown back by some kind of force, and he landed in the grass. Another time, a little girl was spotted playing with what appeared to be the, the ghost of a little girl on the swings. The swings began moving by themselves, and the little girl was laughing and playing with someone as if they were there. 
Now, one of the owners, Gaylord White, would claim to see a little girl out of the corner of his eye, and one time she appeared on the tractor behind him. He got off the tractor and left it in the middle of the field where it was, and he left it there for decades afterwards, and he never moved it. He would claim to feel like someone was always watching him on the property. His son, Gaylord White II, told the Travel Channel, quote, Sometimes the seat will start to move underneath your hand until you feel the cold air blowing through the seat. And when you get to the middle, you feel something warm. And we believe that's her spirit, end quote. And he's referring to the spirit of the little girl on the swings. He said he's even seen the little girl with her dress, her pink dress, covered in blood. He said, quote, she looked at me, and as long as she looked at me, I couldn't move, end quote. Now, Gaylord II passed away in 2004, and it's said that he has been seen around the property as well. His face has been captured in a picture on the rusted-out school bus that remains on the property to this day. It belonged to the family, and Gaylord actually lived in it at one time. After his death, his wife was really worried that he wasn't going to be happy about the changes that she had made to the property, specifically the new haunted tours and that kind of thing. But she took the idea that she saw the face, the picture of him on the bus, and she took that as some piece that, okay, maybe he is okay with it. And another security video that she had seen was of the Ferris safety wheel bar unfastening in the middle of the night while no one was around. And that showed her that he was there as well. She said, quote, he was very particular about the Ferris wheel. He was always worried about the lock, so to me, this was him. He said it was okay. It makes me happy. I'm just so glad that to know that they're there, even though I already knew it myself. I have this so I can prove it to others, end quote. The haunted history of the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park is as fascinating as it is scary, and the stories of paranormal experiences on the property continue to this day. So the only question is, will you have a tale of your own to tell? If you've visited Lake Shawnee and you have a story to tell, please reach out. I would love to hear your experience. You can send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. You can check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. For exclusive content and access to our Patreon-only Facebook group, please join us over on, pa- on Patreon. The very first exclusive episode, which is Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 1, is now available at the $1 per month level on up. 
And if you join at the $5 per month level, you'll have access to upcoming episodes one week early, and you'll get an exclusive The Haunted Corner sticker after donating for three months, plus a lot more. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, please be kind and take care of yourselves, and we will see you next week. Bye.